Following Jesus isn't always easy, but it's not complicated. On this podcast, we hope to make real life a bit more simple. And today we have a guest that has written a book called Humble Hungry Hustle. Uh, H3 Leadership. His name is Brad Lominick. Brad uh, has an incredible story of how he's impacted the church world and nonprofits. And I'm anxious to have Brad as uh, our guest today and give us a little bit of help in making real life a bit simple for us in uh, leadership. And so, Brad, welcome to the podcast. Rusty, it's so good to be here, man. I'm honored. And by the way, you have a great radio voice or podcast voice, I should say. <laughs> well, thank you. Uh, I'll moonlight as a uh, disc jockey in the evenings. Uh, you could you could be one of those guys that that does like voiceovers, and they get paid a lot of money. So. Oh, voiceovers—that's a good idea. Okay. Yeah. Did you grow up watching WKRP in Cincinnati? Oh yes, it, d- during the times when my parents didn't know. Yes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. That's exactly when I watched it too. After everybody went to bed, yes. I was watching WKRP, That's right. Venus Flytrap, Doctor Johnny Fever. Oh man, you could have been Loved on there. It. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> oh, this is Venus Flytrap. All right. Well, listen, uh, for our listeners that maybe haven't heard of you, don't know your book, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and start with the good stuff, which is you are from Oklahoma. Listen, you and I have have many things in common, but the most important would be that we both cheer for the Sooners. Boomer Sooner. And not only do we cheer for the Sooners, but we are deeply passionate. I mean, it's seared into our brains and souls and hearts. And we, uh, we probably live and die in the fall based on the success of Oklahoma football. So that would be a big part of the story is I grew up just outside of Tulsa mm-hmm. and uh, was the son and the son of a football coach okay. who was a high school football coach and a little town called Bristow. And we were, you know, we, 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 as you know, you know, you grew up in the, in the, this part of the country and uh, faith family football. Mm. And sometimes not in that order. Sometimes it's football. Never. Uh, maybe family and a little bit of faith if that rolls up. But yep. that was uh, life for me growing up, you know, so small town. And um, I think from a leadership side, Rusty, like there, there's there's that question always of are, are leaders born or are they made? Mm. And I think the answer is yes to both. And I'm a good example of that. I mean, I, I felt the the urge the draw, the the call, I guess, the passion or sense of purpose towards being a leader. I remember even in kindergarten, you know, the first day I'm getting to, getting to know everybody in the class. I'm learning names and nobody's telling me to do this. The, the second day I'm doing trade deals in the cafeteria. <laughs> and, you know, by the third day, you know, I'm, we're, we're leading revolt. And that's, that was not something that, that uh, anybody had to tell me to do. That was just natural. And, so I was always the kid, you know, I think that was willing to run for student council and be the captain of the sports team and and stand up and maybe stand in front of the line or be willing to to get out there and um, and try to take a stand on things. Mm. Um, and so it's always been in me. And, it, and you know, the, the thing about leadership and the thing for me growing up was it also crossed over with following Jesus. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was in the church of God uh, growing up, which was an incredible foundation from a, from a biblical standpoint and from, I think, just teaching wise. And there was, you know, baptism for me at an early age of, of around seven. And uh, I just remember God got a hold of my heart at an, a really early age. And so this combination of leadership and faith has sort of always been the story for me. And it always will be. And those, you know, themes of my life, those would be two of the ones that are, that are most prominent. Mm. So you left Oklahoma and where did life take you next? Well, yeah, I'll, I'll give you the Reader's Digest version because it's for a lot of listeners, they're going to go, really? You too, Lamanek? Like that makes no sense whatsoever. <laughs> uh, Cause so many of our stories, you know, we, we look back and we only see the connections in the rearview mirror, right. but I was a, I was a student at Oklahoma, University of Oklahoma, and was a history major, thought I wanted to go to law school, and I thought politics was the path. Mm. Uh, for me, you know, it just felt like the right place to go to live out this leadership mantra of my life. And so I was going to go to law school and then, you know, kind of be on the path of, of politics. And hopefully by the age of 40, I would be, you know, in some form or fashion involved in D.C. And, but when I graduated college from Oklahoma, I went and worked on a ranch in the middle of Colorado. And that turned into, it was supposed to be six months, turned into almost six years. 
Hmm. And I really felt like, felt like that God shaped me in those six years. You know, the, the foundation of your twenties many times determines, I would say the, you know, the, the, the arc of your life. And for me, my twenties primarily were spent scooping manure in the middle of the mountains with 150 horses and on this really nice guest ranch. And uh, out of that experience, I mean, there's all kinds of lessons we could talk about, but um, out of that, I connected with some people who then connected me to John Maxwell. Mm. And, uh, you know, at that point, the rest is history in many ways. And the connection between, between, okay, Brad, you were a history major, then you worked on this ranch and you were a cowboy and you were like, you know, taking people out on horseback rides and playing really like you truly were a cowboy. Like you weren't just playing one, you really were one. And then all of a sudden John Maxwell, and then you start running, doing events for him. And the answer is yes. And uh, the reason I would say is because the who, and this is a, I think this is another good lesson. You know, like if you're, if you're young and you're listening to this, um, especially in your twenties, don't worry about the what. The what is important, but it will take care of itself if you get around the right who's. Mm. And for me, I was around the right who's. I, I was just showing up in the right places and con- the connections that were created for me to then, you know, get connected to John Maxwell and start working for his organization. And I had no experience in events or leadership or anything John was doing, but it was just one of those things that he kind of saw me as a young leader that I think he saw some potential and this was the late nineties. And mm-hmm. and then, you know, at that point there was a bunch of us who were in our twenties, late twenties that were working for John and we were doing conferences and events and, and out of that catalyst started, which didn't have this grand vision on it other than we just wanted to do a new conference, but it turned into something that, you know, many would call a movement, I guess. And then, so for the next 15 years for me, that was, that was really the, I would say what I'm most known for, you know, if you have to put a stamp on me in terms of my history and my experience, that Catalyst would be that. And so that was a big part of my journey was leading that movement and trying to steward it well and put together conferences and events and gather the next generation and, and all that then, you know, allowed me to do what I'm doing now, which is to really try to be a connector and an advisor to many organizations out of the experience of Catalyst and try to write books and I guess be a thought leader, you could call it. Mm-hmm. I'll stop there. Well, goodness, so much good stuff right there. Um, the, the first question that begs to be asked is, do cowboys really listen to country music? <laughs> listen, uh, well, first of all, I have to I have to say that, you know, I'm not really a true cowboy because I still, I'm not, I'm not wearing the Wrangler jeans anymore. Okay. But okay. the answer is yes. Like if, it, there, there is a there is a built-in fabric to something about country music that allows you to play the part better. Mm-hmm. So, but we, you know, the answer would be yes, and because cowboys listen to a lot of different music, mm-hmm. whether it's hip hop or oh. jazz or uh, worship. You know, we I, I would consider myself a uh, a a fan of of lots of genres, but yes, definitely listen to cow to country music. But the old school stuff, right? Like Merle Haggard, exactly. Willie Waylon, not this, <laughs> not this trash that's on the radio these days. No, it's not really country. It's Definitely just not. Kind of packaged as that. No, no skinny jeans with those guys. They were the real deal. <laughs> well, Ra- listen, Wrangler jeans are the original skinny jeans because those those suckers don't they don't fit anybody without being tight. So that's true. Those skinny up top, right? Though, boot boot cut at the bottom. There well, you go. I'm, yes. Th- truly, we have never had this conversation on our podcast before, but <laughs> we're trying to bring people the stuff they really want to hear. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's what fans are looking for. Okay. You said something that uh, was so, so good. And I just had this conversation with a guy by the name of Jim Wallace, or as he goes by Jay Warner Wallace. He's the cold case guy that talks about the resurrection. Unbelievable individual. But he speaks a lot to um, uh, high school students, college-age students, and he always gets into dialogues with them about, about their faith and about their future, and, and they all want to make good choices. But he said they're all focused on the wrong thing. Hmm. They're all focused on things like, like their career path and their education. Yes, those things are important. But he said it's a little bit like trying to shoot a rocket to the moon. You know, If you're off a couple degrees you're going to be way off when you get towards the moon. Right. And he said, the same thing is true in your life. If you get off a little bit, just a tiny bit, uh, in the beginning stages, it can 
totally change the trajectory of your life. And his point was that is the, that's the people you're around. That's the who's in your life determine that trajectory. Um, I love what you said there about that. And so from the audience that's listening, thinking, okay, I need a better group of who's in my life. Mm-hmm. How, how do you, and I wanted to ask you this from two different perspectives. How do you go and find those? And then, um, you know, as somebody who has had people come to you asking for your mentorship and leadership, what's the best way for somebody to ask somebody to be that person in their life? Yeah, no, that's a good, really good question. Uh, the first piece of that, how do you go find them? Um, I would say there are some who's that you're stuck with, right? I mean, right. The, the, the family you have, the even the friendships that you create growing up, uh, many times the, those are you know good or bad. They're they're just part of your fabric. Um, once you get into career life, then you can choose. And um, I would say you know be intentional, put a list together, and but also be realistic. That's the biggest thing. Mm. Sometimes we we think, well, I'm going to put my list of who's I want to shape my life, and it's you know it's. LeBron James and Jay-Z and Oprah Winfrey and Barack Obama. And you just look at somebody and go, come on, seriously? My vision board. There's no way. Yeah. Right? So we, we have to be realistic with our, with our who's. So think about people who are in, your, in, in sort of your circle that, of influence, either that, that you have met or that you might know or that you could be connected to. Um, and, and I'm really talking about the, the people that can, can shape you um, even if it's from a distance or, you know, with one meeting a month or one meeting a quarter, um, that's a certain kind of who's. Then you've got to figure out your friends. And man, this one, again, in your 20s and 30s, it's throughout life. But especially when you're in your first half, your friends really do determine your future. Like we've heard that, you know, the five people you're you're around the most mm-hmm. are, are, you're, are really going to determine who you become. And mm-hmm. I just think it's so important for us to choose the people that we do life with. Mm. And that's, this is not, a, this is not an evangelism question. It's not a, it's not a, who am I going to try to influence? It's more about who's influencing me mm. and who am I like becoming like, and, you know, because people will say, well, Brad, I think we should be, you know, I think we should be intentional with everybody we meet, especially if we're, if we're trying to, you know, win them to Jesus. The answer is yes. I totally agree with that. But again, I'm talking about the people who are going to shape me. And so um, it's really those mentors and then it's your friends and and then it's your core. You know, like I would say, I've heard Bob Goff say this, and I think it's so important. Um, you got to fight for your friendships, but you got to figure out your eight. Who, who are the eight that are going to carry your casket? Mm. And that's not fun to think about, but it's important to think about, right? Who, who are the eight that are going to be in your, in your wedding uh, at your bedside and then you know, at your dead side, that because <laughs> it rhymes, it works. But the wed side, the bedside, the dead side, those, those eight, mm. you know, and it could be more than that. But let's just use eight as a round number. The, those are the kind of people that you have to be incredibly intentional about figuring out who that is. And they might change by the time you you know get later in life. But you've always got to be thinking about those. So let me stop there and just pause because we'll go to the second part of your question if you want to, or if you want to follow up or make any comments. Well, I love that from the bedside, dead side, wed side. Uh, first of all, like you said, it rhymes. So we know it's true. <laughs> it works, man. It does. Uh, so good. And this idea of choosing those friends carefully, what I've noticed is sometimes God will, will put some people in your path and you can't get rid of them. And maybe they're there for that purpose. And they weren't the friend that you wanted to have, but they end up being the one you needed. Mm-hmm. And maybe you're that friend for them as well. So keep an eye out for what God's doing there. So give us the, the flip side of this as well. How, how do you make that ask? Yeah. Well, you, so the first thing is that when you ask, you're honoring somebody. So mm-hmm. all of your intentionality around asking somebody to, to, um, you know, to speak into your life or to, to give you insight or give you advice or help you think through something or. Um, you're, you, you have to think, I want to honor this person. That has to be the, the foundation of sort of the way you're approaching it. And when you honor somebody, what you don't do is you don't just, you don't just sort of um, go from, I've never met you, to now I want you to like spend time with me and I want you to go on every trip and 
I'm going to be in your office all the time, right? Like mm-hmm. that's a that's a that's a jump that is not possible. So right. here's what I would start with. Um, let's just use a real life example. You know, like if if you if you were emailing me, if somebody was emailing me or you for that matter, hey um, Brad, thanks for all you've written. Really appreciate what you did with Catalyst. Man, I, we met one time. Um, I shook your hand at that event. Thanks for being approachable. I have. Uh, I would really love for you to speak into my life, but I know you're busy now. Many times we're not, but you know we'll come back to that. Uh, here, what if? How about this? Can I send you an email with with three questions that I've been wrestling with, hmm. and would you respond to that? Or uh, can we get on the phone for ten minutes? Like, can, can I call you or can we get on the phone or a quick call for 10 minutes? I have two questions I want to ask you. Start with something that feels like you're not just, you know, asking them for the moon. Um, mm-hmm. Now, once that happens, so let's just say they emailed me the three questions and I responded. Now they're going to respond to me. Thanks so much for, for that input. Um, is it okay if I uh, email you back in a month? and give you a a status update on how I've taken what you told me and your advice and actually put it into practice. Mm. Okay. Yes. Now here's what I'm proving. If I'm doing that is I'm proving that you're, I'm honoring you again. I'm saying that really helped. This is really helpful. I want to show you and prove to you and validate to you that this is actually going to make a difference in my life. Um, Compared to what many of us do is we start with the big ask and we don't get any response and then we get bitter mm-hmm. or, or we start with the big ask and we get like the Instagram photo mm-hmm. and we post that and then nothing happened in our life. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's just as frustrating to that, to that mentor or to that sage compared to, man, if you will show me that you really valued what we talked about and, and you did your homework, you actually put this into practice, you followed up, um, you sent me a rip, a, an email that said, Hey, I just wanted you to know I implemented what you told me. Here's what happened. Thank you so much. In fact, um, is there anything I can do for you? Like, do you have a book coming out that I can help you promote? Do you like, so you're, you're going to think, how do I add value to this person way beyond what the value they offered or added to me? And it's generosity at the end of the day. Like you're, Mm -hmm. you're approaching that potential person with such a mindset that says, I want to add so much more to you than you do to me Mm -hmm. that they look at that and go, because you are willing to do that, I want to invest in you more. Mm-hmm. And this was what Maxwell taught me, you know, he, cause he had for, you know, there were, the list was so long, Rusty, of the people who wanted J- John's time. Mm-hmm. And he said, Brad, listen, the people, and he said this to all of our team, the people that I will, that I will build into are the people who prove that they are worthy to be built into. Mm-hmm. And that was such a mind shift for me of, okay, I've got to, I've got to show that I'm willing to take this seriously compared to, I just sort of marked it off the list, you know, and yeah. that's not nothing wrong with that, but many times that's what happens. And then, and then we, you know, we think, well, that's enough and it's really not. So mm-hmm. lean back into those people who help you and be willing to, you know, add way more to them than they did to you. Yeah, that's so good. There is that uh there's that element of most leaders where they don't they don't know how to talk about themselves and what they've done without somebody asking the questions. Mm-hmm. And for you to just go up to somebody and say, Tell me everything you've learned about this, <laughs> it's really hard to <laughs> wrap your mind around. But if somebody comes to, for instance, if they came to me and said, uh, tell me the three things you do before you write a message every time. Oh, okay. Well, let me tell you what I've learned. It works and what doesn't work. Tell me what you do in a joke bombs. Oh, I got lots of experience in that. Let me tell you what I've learned there. Exactly. You know, it's just, and I tell a lot of our guys that, that want that kind of thing. I just say, okay, great. Come to me with three questions. And I'll, I think I heard somebody say at one time, I'll set up the meeting. You set up the agenda. So you bring the information or the questions you have and boy, it goes so much smoother that way. Do you think That's good. asking somebody for 10 minutes is the magic number or three questions is about right? Yeah, I think, I think so. I mean, I think what, what we're saying, whether it's, you know, 10 minutes or three questions or, uh, is we're saying, I don't want to take all your time because mm-hmm. I, I know that your time is valuable and that's true. 
the, the higher up the ladder of influence the leader is, time is perhaps their greatest asset. Mm-hmm. So many times we ask though, we ask for something that doesn't, because we're in a season where we've got plenty of time, mm-hmm. <laughs> we, we ask the person for their time and they just look at it differently because that asset they trade in terms of time is so much more valuable perhaps than it is to us when we're asking. Um, right. And, you know, you, you just said something too that reminded me uh, that the curiosity factor that I want to bring mm-hmm. to this kind of, of, of um, transaction in, in terms of if I show up and ask great questions to you, first of all, that I win because I'm, I'm pulling wisdom out of you. Mm. But so many times, and you've probably seen this with, with, with leaders, especially who are younger, but not just younger. It's just, you know, it's just a season. I think so many times they'll say, can I get, you know, whatever time we can agree to. Great. Thank you. We, we're going to do lunch and it's 45 minutes. They spend the entire 45 minutes talking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then we get done and they feel good. And I look at them and I want to say, you know, like you had, you had somebody over sitting across from you that, could drop some wisdom on you if you were curious. Right. Compared to you just showed up and it felt like you were just trying to prove that you were worthy of being in part of this conversation. And that's another lesson is I learned this early on in life is the more curious I am and the better questions I ask, the more I value that person and they will want to give me more time Mm -hmm. if I ask them really good questions compared to I got 10 minutes and I just got to I, I gotta, I gotta say everything I want to say. Well, no, that, that 10 minutes, like walk in with two good questions. Right. And you'll probably get another 10 minutes and then another 10 minutes. Yeah. That's, that's so good. I, I've noticed the guys I want to talk to more are the ones that watch the clock more than I do. Yes. So if they come in and they go, what, 10 minutes. And then at nine minutes, they go, I got one minute left. I'm more likely to go, oh, you know what? I got an extra half hour. You know, yes, because I know that they care about time, uh, where I don't have to be the one watching the clock for them. <laughs> yeah, they're valuing they're valuing what you value exactly compared to only valuing what they value. Right, so true. All right, I'm going to ask you about some of your who's. We're going off script here, so we'll see how, where this goes. But you have surrounded yourself with some pretty incredible people, just by the nature of the game and by Catalyst. I mean, John Maxwell. I'm reading some of your endorsements here. Dave Ramsey, Jim Collins, uh, Michael Hyatt, uh, Donald Miller. I mean, these are incredible. Mark Burnett, goodness, he wrote your foreword. Um, just out of, not even just those names, but pick out two or three people that you have been blessed by and just what's some nugget you got from them. Yeah, well, I'll give you a a couple that are off the, that that are off the beaten path that pe- most people wouldn't know about, uh, and I could talk about some that people do, but I think it's more interesting for some of these that they may not know. Mm-hmm. Um, the the gentleman who started Lost Valley Ranch in Colorado, where I worked for six years, uh, a guy named Bob Foster, who was who was friends and and mentors, or he was peers with people like Billy Graham and Dawson Troutman, who started the Navigators, and mm-hmm. Chuck Swindoll and Howard mm-hmm. Hendricks. I mean, these patriarchs of the faith. But Bob was, you know, this this uh, this seventy five year old man. When I was working there in my twenties, early twenties, he was seventy five and and uh, wore, wore this really big cowboy hat and had a big laugh. And we would meet for breakfast every Friday while I worked there. He mentored me. I mean, he he truly poured into me. And we would do scripture memory and and he would just sort of we just talk about life. And he would always say to me, uh, Brad, your twenties establish your seventies. Your your twenties establish your seventies, and here I was, you know, twenty three, and he was seventy five, and I was seeing it in him because what he was saying was, is the man of the man or woman of God that we become in our in our twenties again, foundation like the core, like what are your who, what are you working on, that's going to actually sustain you over the next fifty years. But that that man of God I was becoming in my twenties would determine how I would finish the race in my seventies. And hmm. I was working on legacy stuff, not even realizing it. Right. So that was a, that's a huge lesson for me that I still come back to constantly is, you know, is think about whatever season you're in that you're building, you're actually crafting your finish line by what you're doing and working on today. Um, hmm. the, the second one would be Maxwell. And, you know, I, I've already talked about John, but, you know, 
the thing that I learned from John was that during the journey, let's actually create some some memory moments together. And John is one of the great architects of experiences, I think. And he's he's always that's always been true. And everything we ever did, whether it was traveling or in the office or at events or you know restaurants or John always just saw the the beauty in the process and just this sense of let's let's actually have fun on the journey. And mm. that was such a lesson for me of um, you know this this idea of allowing for these memory markers or the mile markers for people to be able to look back and say, remember when, and sometimes as leaders, we forget that. Like we, we're so focused on the, on the top of Everest <laughs> that we, we just got to get to the top. Like we got to, we got to get up there. We got to, you know, take the picture <laughs> and that's our goal. And we forget about like, man, look at the, look, we're up here at camp three and we're at 24,000 feet. Mm. Look at that view. And our people, all of our people are looking around going, isn't that awesome? And we're just thinking, no, we got to get to the top. Mm. And so the, the, the constant reminder for me of celebrate along the journey, you know, stop and stop and smell the roses and all the other <laughs> phrases that could be used. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just saw that so much in John Maxwell over the years. Just one of the things that stood out for me of my time with him. Wow. That's great. Great stuff. Okay. I want to dive into the book. Uh, this book has been out for what, five years now? Uh, since twenty H three. Since twenty fifteen, yeah, or maybe late twenty fifteen. So four and a half years. Gosh, okay, time flies. This book is just like the leadership manual for somebody uh, to dive into. What do I got to be to be a leader? And it's all these different habits. It's so good, and it's really you know kind of categorized by uh, humble, hungry, and hustle. Tell me where this book came from. Why this book? Well, the the uh, the catalyst interns, when they would show up over the years, over the twelve or thirteen years I was sitting in the captain's chair, uh, you know, they would come in. They're twenty two, and they they they're looking at me, going, "All right, Lamanek, what does it take for me to get your job? Like, mm-hmm. would you please move because you're in the way, right?" And I love that. <laughs> um, but they all had the they were bright eyed, bushy tailed, and ready to change the world. And of course, one of them at some point would say, "Okay, just boil it down, like." The first day, what do I got to do to get ahead here? And my answer was 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 be humble, stay hungry, always hustle. H three, and that was my mantra for years, way before it ever became a book title. Mm-hmm. It was when somebody would say, "Brad, how do you describe the you know sort of the elementary basics of what it looks like for you personally to be a leader?" That was my answer. But here here was the reason I I decided to write the book was not because I had figured it out. It was because I was actually failing at it. Mm. And, you know, in the book, there's a lot of me talking about the season when I uh, turned 40 and I, I, you know, I was, I was navigating like this new reality of potentially stepping away from leading catalysts. And I just grown pretty dysfunctional, Mm. even though we were still up and to the right, you know, we were, we were winning as, as an organization, but I was starting to, to, to just get stale and it w- there was no major storyline or you know fallout or burnout, but it was just that sense of I've got to reestablish that same mantra that I had told interns for the last fifteen years. Right. And so a lot of the the journey of the book is really like my story of of not doing it well mm. in in that particular season. And so that's where it comes from. And for me, Rusty, you know, like the 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 key with, with the three H's is that they have to be all lived out. Mm-hmm. So, cause we, you know, think of somebody in your life who is incredibly proficient at hustling, but they have no humility. And we've all got somebody in mind right now. Mm-hmm. We're thinking, Oh yeah, I can think of that person on the team or in the office or uh, that friend who it's all about them. You know, they're, they're, they have no sense of generosity they're just out to get their own. They will run over you in order to, you know, to win the prize. Uh, every story is, is focused on them. Okay, we got the picture. But just the opposite is true. I can think of lots of leaders who are incredibly humble, and they, you know, they realize it's not about them. There's a bigger story at play here. I want to make you the hero, but they have zero hustle. Mm-hmm. 
They don't get anything done. They talk about it, but they never execute. They, they don't have any sense of work ethic. Um, there's nothing in their life that creates margin and, and a, sense of, a sense of being able to help others. They don't collaborate well, but they, they understand humility, but there's no hustle factor. So uh, the hunger piece is really the connection point in the middle. But these three legs of the stool have to all be equally standing mm-hmm. so that the, that the stool is balanced. Mm. Otherwise, we get, I think, an ineffective leader. And, you know, Pat Lincioni, who I'm sure you read, I love Pat as an author and a, and a, and a speaker and a mm-hmm. leadership guru. You know, his book, his book The Ideal Team Player, mm. is another great read, similar. He, he says, humble, hungry, smart, mm-hmm. which, you know, we're just talking words at that point. But um, he, he kind of he kind of points to the same idea is that the ideal team player, there's really three buckets, you know, that their, their leadership should fall into. So that's, that's where it came from. Well, it's, it's categorized so well. It's so, it's so simple yet. It's also profound. And I just, man, I thought this was so, so helpful. I give this to a lot of our young leaders and they always, you know, walk away with great insights out of it. The book's five years old now. What would you add to it? What, what elements, if you were to add a fourth and you can't have that because then that messes up the, the three, you know. H4. Yeah. H4H. <laughs> like that, isn't that an organization? 4H. I think it yeah. is. That's about from our yeah. from our neck of the woods. That's right. Uh, yeah. What would you add? Or what, what do you think is uh, you would add uh, in today's society or maybe with the new culture in which we're living in now? Yeah, that's a good question. I don't know if I've ever been asked that. What would the fourth H be? Um, or what would the fourth quadrant be? Yeah. You know, um, it... I think it it might be uh, <laughs> my first my first response is holy, <laughs> of course. <laughs> now that that may just be you know because I'm talking to you, uh, but that's my first response is you know really like following Jesus and and the the idea of like uh, discipleship and becoming a student of the faith and and diving into you know what does it look like to to be a man or woman of God. Um, that that one that one immediately comes to mind. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it is though in terms of of that fourth H that's missing. Mm-hmm. That's a really good question. I don't know if I have a good answer for that one. Well, and I, I'm not saying this book's missing anything, but no, I know you're not. Yeah, it's a good <laughs> just question. to clarify. But I know. I mean, having written a few things, you, you know, you get a few years down the road and you think, mm, yeah, I would have changed that, tweaked that, added that, or whatever. Or you know, times change. I would say this: there's a lot of people these days. You know, hustle was in vogue mm-hmm. for a while. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of hustle books and there was a lot of people talking about hustle and, um, you know, like getting my hustle on and mm-hmm. hashtag, uh, working out, you know, I mean, hashtag I'm, I'm, I'm crushing it. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's something that, that, uh, first of all, I still will fight for that, that H I'll still fight for the hustle factor. Cause I think it's incredibly important mm-hmm. and, and it's really important actually for people of faith mm-hmm. because sometimes again, we, we we lose sight of the fact that that it does take it does take execution, um, but equally amount equally as part of hustle in the book is some of the habits that people they go Brad I was really surprised by that it's like the habit of collaboration mm-hmm. you know that's in the hustle section a habit of generosity is in the hustle section a habit of Sabbath is in the hustle section mm-hmm. so this is not just about working hard and and being willing to to you know, pursue excellence. And, and, you know, it, it is, it's equally as much about, are you resting well? Yeah. So are you crushing it at resting? Yep. Right. Are you crushing it at collaboration? Are you crushing it at, at uh, the idea of creating margin in your life? Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's not about like redlining your life because that's where the, that's where a lot of people get confused on the hustle. It's not about that. Sometimes it is. Sometimes you have seasons that you have to redline mm-hmm. the engine. But if you redline too much over time, you know that's when bad things happen. So um, I, I, I always want to sort of make that clear to people because a lot of people today they're they're much more into this idea of balance. Mm. And I agree. I'm I'm equally as much for that. So that's that's one of the, that's probably like an asterisk I would put on the book if I was. That was re-releasing it is mm-hmm. don't think this hustle actually means what you think it means, right? Right. Yeah, just busyness that doesn't always equate to being yes good hustle. Um, a couple last questions here. I want to definitely honor your time. Um, 
young leaders. This is fun, man. We'll keep going forever. Okay, okay. We can get back to Oklahoma football, too, and really have a good time. We might never finish if we get on that topic. (laughs) Young leaders, um, specifically church planners who might be listening, what does a world beyond COVID-19 look like uh, from your perspective? And at the time of recording this, we're still thick in it. But as you just, you know, kind of look ahead, church more in the digital age, uh, it's been said if somebody does something for 66 days, it's a it's a habit that you know they're stuck with. So if we live in this COVID world for you know being quarantined, sheltered at home for 66 days, and we come out, the world may never look the same again. What's that look like for churches, and what should church leaders be thinking of right now in the middle of it? Mm. Man, that's a good question. I almost feel like I should ask you this <laughs> well, question. Well, I'm asking you. I feel like you. <laughs> I know. I feel like you would have more insight on this one than than I do. Mm. Um, I, I'll, I'll, I'll throw a couple things out and then I'd love to really, I, would, I really would love to hear your, your perspective. Um, obviously the digital landscape is, is here to stay. Um, you know, that, that's, that's pretty obvious in terms of how we, how we do, how we, how we deliver our, I guess, I guess our product in some ways, you know, um, that's, that's going to, that's, that's shifted and it will, it's not going to go back to what it was. Um, mm-hmm. I think that the idea of engagement is is equally shifting and will continue to shift and we're seeing it right now with a lot of a lot of i think innovation and healthy innovation in terms of how churches are are saying okay it's not just about sunday it's about every day and how do we actually help people navigate sort of the daily um the daily things in their life and so you're seeing you know you're seeing churches weekly prayer gatherings on online Hmm. uh you know they're they're shifting community groups from once, uh, you know, once a month to now, like every Thursday night. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of that's just be in response to where we are in our culture, because people are, are really desperate sort of for community and answers. And it's just a sense of, I think, comfort and certainty. But um, I think that's a big shift. And then the third one would would be, what is it? What does it mean for that pastor, mm. specifically the the senior pastor? And specifically for the communicator, because that's primarily what, you know, many senior pastors, church planters, they, they kind of start out with doing everything, but, you know, a big part of their job description is, is communicating. How do they shift from being a communicator to also being a curator? Mm. And this is, this is true for all leaders. I I think the future of leadership is curation. Um, I, I just, and we could, we could dive into that one for a whole nother round too, but that the idea of the aggregator and the, and the curator mm. having the influence going forward is already been in motion. And now this is just speeding up that exponentially. So, mm. you know, the, you still have to communicate everybody, every leader communicates, but what does it look like for me to now be much more of this, of a host, a curator, an aggregator, a coach, a conductor. I mean, think of the, think of the picture of a conductor right? Mm -hmm. A conductor is, they've got the little wand and there's the tuba section and there's the trombones and the clarinets and the drums. And, you know, they, they're, they're orchestrating compared to they're just the best trombone player in the world. Right. And that, that to me is where things are headed. I don't know what it looks like in, in practical terms, but that would definitely be a trend that I think is going to continue to push forward. What do you think? Two thoughts have been coming to my mind over the past couple of weeks, and as we've been uh, working ahead with our with our teams around here, one is I keep thinking about something I heard Larry Osborne say years ago, and that was that we always want to talk about how great Acts two was, and how they all came together in Acts chapter four, and they had you know they shared their possessions, and no one was in need. But the, he said the problem was that Jesus told them to go to the utter ends of the of the earth, and they didn't want to leave Jerusalem. Hmm. And it wasn't until the persecution broke out around Acts 8 or 9, I think, that then suddenly the church was scattered, and that's when the Great Commission began to happen. I think that we're in that kind of realm right now. I think that We've been sensing that something was changing. It's no longer the attractional model. It's no longer come and see. 
Um, and we've, you know, we've seen this in the church world where it's almost been this internal struggle of, will it be online? Is online really church? Can you really do that? And now we have to do it that way. Right. And I almost think that we were all forced online uh, by this horrible virus that God is using to amplify his message. Uh, the church will not be contained. It will not be shut down. Uh, Jesus declared that. And I think that all this is doing is kind of forcing us out of our comfort zone into realms where, boy, I tell you what, it's a lot easier to invite people to church by sending them a, sending them a link. Hmm. It's a lot easier to share great material. It's And the pastor is now no longer come and see, but go and be. I'll go to your living room. I'll speak to you one-on-one. Zoom calls, all that kind of stuff. It's going to be interesting what we do with church buildings going forward. I think they might become more community centers, neighborhood centers, feeding centers, because people still want to gather, but it's going to look entirely different than gathering in a room and just watching one person speak uh, as it has been historically. So I, those are my fresh thoughts on it. The, yeah. the second idea, and it, well, I'll stop there. What do you think about that? No, I, I'm, I'm with you, man. I, I, I totally agree with that. And, uh, you know, change, sometimes change happens because of a catalyst that is, is, um, that feels good. Right. Mm -hmm. But many times change happens because of a catalyst that doesn't feel good. Right. Like that change agent is not always something that we would say, please more of that, Mm -hmm. but it always forces, I mean, change always forces, uh, either, either innovation or it forces, I would say like, uh, elimination. Hmm. Right. Yeah, that's and true. Let's choose. Let's choose innovation. Right. And and that's our that's our opportunity. You know, crisis creates opportunity. So right. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, the second thought we've been having is, and we've been online for years, but it's always just been the camera in the back of the room. Uh, and you know, we'll put some window dressing on it before and after with somebody talking to the audience. But really, it's been a uh, voyeuristic approach to church. But since we've been online only. We, we kind of had this mantra, and that is, think less weekend news, think more uh, Saturday Night Live. So SNL, you know there's certain stuff that's always going to be there. You're always going to have the monologue. You're always going to have the cold open. You're always going to have weekend update. But then there's a lot of stuff that you don't know what it's going to be. And what we're trying to do is program our weekend services around seven-minute segments at the most, because nobody wants to sit there and watch 30 minutes of somebody singing or even 30 minutes of somebody teaching because now it's no longer you zone out in the room. Now it's you get up and walk out of the room (laughs) Mm -hmm. because you can just leave, turn it off, go to the bathroom, whatever. So we're trying to break it up into segments, some that are standard and others that you don't know what's coming to create more opportunities for engagement, to have more people weigh in, to create more of a shared experience and a shareable experience. Hmm. And we're finding a lot of momentum behind that. We'll see where it goes. And we're I mean, at this time, we're four weeks in. But I don't, I don't know if we're going to go back to the way it was before, uh, certainly with our online campus. It may continue to be that way because I think people are really engaging with it. Well, and there's, there is something to that. I, mean, I, you know, I agree. Like I, I've seen several, uh, not just churches and, and online services or communicators that are interacting with the, the sort of the live feed of people's response. Mm -hmm. But this is, this has been true. And, you know, think of any, think of any, um, any award show that you watch Mm. the Grammys, you know, uh, the country music awards, the, it doesn't matter. Like they've been, they've been sort of moving this direction for many, many years where you, they were seeing the, the, the viewership dropping. So they had to figure out, well, how do we actually engage people? Hmm. And how do we, you know, how do we, how do we respond to that tweet that, or that Instagram that somebody posted or that comment in the chat section? And that's, that's the, you're right. That's the engagement we're talking about, you know, and it, it can look different for everybody, but, um, static sort of monologue, mm-hmm. um, communication that feels like you are, um, like I could get that anywhere. Right. That, that is now going to become something that people tune out of right. compared to, well, Oh, I was watching real life and, and pastor Rusty talked about that. Look who's watching in, 
you know, in Chula Vista. Mm-hmm. Hey, Jim, thanks for watching in Chula Vista. And Jim actually asked a question. Here it is. Uh, you know, how do you, what do I do with what you just talked about? That second point. Well, let me tell you, Jim. And mm-hmm. that feels weird to many of us, but it's going to be the norm going forward, I think. Yeah. yeah, that's really good. Well, exciting changes on the horizon, but still good changes. And the good thing is, is we have a God that's not surprised by anything. So we move ahead. Uh, okay, I want to throw one last question at you. Sure. And that is, tell us the three leaders we should be reading or listening to right now. Mm, good, good, good question. Uh, and I'm going to say right now, uh, with, with, within, with both an asterisk as well as, uh, as well as some, some bullet points next to it, because right now, if, if, if I really was saying right now, it would be those who are talking about the coronavirus. Mm-hmm. Um, so I will give you one of those. And I think, uh, Carrie Newhoff, you, you mentioned Carrie earlier, mm-hmm. you know, Carrie is, is really tuned in and dialed in on not just leadership and helping churches and pastors, but also like responding in crisis and leading in crisis. And so he would be one for sure that I would say just absorb and, and, you know, soak up all he's doing. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a, I'm a big fan. I mentioned Pat Lincioni before mm-hmm. and I love Pat's books. I love his writing. He also has a podcast called at the table, mm. uh, which is fairly new but it's really good and it's helpful. It's, you know, a couple of his staff guys sitting down with him on a weekly basis, just talking about a topic. So, um, I would, I would put Pat in there. And then, you know, one of my more recent favorite authors is Simon Sinek. Mm. And I'm a, just a big fan of, of Simon's work. He's, he's not really talking much right now about stuff happening with the crisis with the coronavirus, but his book, uh, start with why and leaders eat last and, the infinite game. I mean, anything he writes is really good. And I just love, if you haven't watched many of people have probably watched his, his rant that actually was very helpful <laughs> about 18 minutes of a rant on millennials and Gen Z. It was epic. Yes. It right? was so, so good. Yes. Yeah. So if you haven't seen that and you're going, Brad, I don't, what are you talking about? Just, just Google Simon Sinek millennials or Simon Sinek Gen Z. I mean, it'll come up because it's, it really like, elevated him to a new status, I think, of followership. So those would be three that, that immediately come to mind. Yeah, those are great. Yeah, his his work is so, so good. And and I think his TED Talk was still like one of the most popular ever, right? About start with why. Yeah, start with why, man. From, from I mean, more than 10 years ago now. Right. Uh, maybe 12 years ago. Uh, so that that was the, yeah, that was what put him on the map. And, and from then, you know, and it was fun because Simon and I met uh, just just for a little bit of backstory. We met at a charity water event in New York, probably I don't know ten years ago. And he was just starting to sort of be well known, and people knew about his TED talk. And we sat at the table together with some other people, but it was fun to just connect at that point. And um, I was really intrigued by who he was and what he was doing. And so I asked him to speak at Catalyst and. I think he spoke at a Catalyst event in 2011, hmm. the first time ever. And that was fun because I think at that point it was probably his largest event he'd ever spoken at. <laughs> and it was just, it was fun to sort of push him, you know, I mean, not that we pushed him into his comfort uh, or uncomfort zone, but it was fun to see him really like capture an audience of thousands, you know, right. almost 13,000 people at the Atlanta event and, so I, I, you know, I like the kid, Hey, we put you on the map, big boy. Don't ever yeah. forget us. Right. <laughs> Don't forget <laughs> us. <laughs> Which is not true, but that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Well, you forget that some of these guys have never spoken before a large group. It's usually just uh, you know, a podcast camera or a boardroom and they right. write a book and then suddenly a room full of 13,000 people wants to hear from them and it's life changing. Listen, anybody, any, anybody that ever says, Oh, I don't, you know, I'm a, I'm an old pro. I don't get, I don't get nervous or butterflies in front of that many people. Oh my. I'll, I'll put you to the test because <laughs> it, it's true for all of us, whether you're up there speaking for 40 minutes or you're, you know, just telling people where the popcorn is at the break. Yep. It always will uh, give me butterflies. Oh my, absolutely. All right. Well, you are doing so much work right now with nonprofits. Would you tell our listeners what you're up to right now? Maybe how they can even find you on social media and website. Sure. Well, my website is just my first and last name.com, uh, Brad Lominick. And same at 
social media outlets. I'm not a good follow right now, though. <laughs> I'm actually a terrible follow because I don't, I'm not speaking a whole lot on social media. I'm just doing a lot of listening. Uh-huh. So that if, if you're expecting a lot of posts or – I used to post a lot on Twitter. That was sort of my outlet for you know the, the pithy leadership quote. But even these days, I'm not doing much there. Um, I still do a, a young influencers list, which people might be interested in. Um, that I do that at least once a month on my blog, on my website. Mm-hmm. And I've been doing it since 2008, Rusty. 950 names <laughs> now that have been on that list. And it really like, I mean, one of these days I want to do an actual event for those 950 people <laughs> just to get them all together and sort of see what has happened, yes. you know, over the last 12 years with that particular group. But people like that because... I'm trying to uncover some folks they may not know about, and that's sort of the whole point of it. So check that out, the Young Influencers List. 950. You get all those on a Zoom call right now, I think. Listen, man, I I know. I just do a virtual (laughs) uh, conference. And, of course, again, many of them who were on in 2009 or 10 or 11, nobody knew them then, and now they're, like, famous. So they they wouldn't even return my call at this point. No, no. Brad who? That's right. Well, I'll always return your call. Buddy, we didn't even get to half the questions, so I'd love to have you on again and talk even more. Maybe when college football comes around, we can uh, yes. we can break down the top 20. Listen, you and I need to start a college football podcast. I don't care if anybody listens. It'll just give you and I an excuse to talk about Oklahoma Sooner football. That is a great idea. Yeah, we'll have a listenership of four. Yeah, it'll be, it'll uh, be family. Yeah, a family that uh, is obligated to. All right, buddy. Well, thank you so much for your time and really appreciate uh, you being a part of this, bud. Thanks, man. Honored to be on. Thanks for having me. Well, I want to thank Brad for being with us. And uh, next week, we'll be back with uh, new content as well. Check out H3, um, which is just a fantastic book. You can just find it on Amazon. Brad Lominick, type that in, buy everything he's got, and you'll be blessed for it. We'll see you next time.